Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us here today. Help us to have joy in our fellowship with you and with one another. In Christ's name, amen. So, young people, you can head out. And we're continuing... Well, let me give you a minute. Uh, while, while our young folks are leaving, could someone, uh, everybody, turn to Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38, and uh, I'll be asking someone to read it here in just a moment. It's quite all right. Okay, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And could someone read that, please? So again, our overall study that we're doing is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. What it means to be a Christian disciple. And there's a cost to that discipleship. There's a cost to you and me to our claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so Bonhoeffer has been looking at the cost of this through the lens of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's closed the Sermon on the Mount. He skips over some passages. He skips over some passages that I do not want to skip over because I think that they are critical. But he does pick up the narrative of discipleship later on. And if you've got your Bibles open, you can look just at the headings from the close of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount closes... In chapter 7, verse uh, 29, the crowd is astonished. He's teaching as one with authority. And then just look at the headings. Jesus cleanses a leper. The faith of a centurion. Jesus heals many. The cost of following Jesus. Jesus calms a storm. Jesus heals two demon-possessed men. Jesus heals a paralytic. Jesus calls Matthew. A question about fasting. A girl restored to life and a woman healed. Jesus heals two blind men. Jesus heals a man unable to speak. And then, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. So, what would you say has been going on between the close of the Sermon on the Mount and picking up with these next verses? What would you say has been happening? What has Jesus been demonstrating. Who is it that calms the storm? God. Who is it that heals a blind man? God. Who is it that (laughs) raises someone from the dead? God. He's been, just by reading those, those, those captions all the way through, you can see again and again and again and again, 
He is proving his divinity. He is God. And so now we pick up with the narrative again. Now we pick up with Jesus communicating with his disciples. After this demonstration that Jesus is God, and he does so by all these powerful and mighty works, he then turns to his disciples. And so I want you to consider one of the key aspects of Jesus' ministry was casting out demons, right? Everybody agree with that? That was a big deal in Jesus' day, was the casting out of demons. From which people did he usually cast out demons? From the Jewish people. It was the Jewish people that he was ministering to. In fact, when people come to him for healing, he'll say things like, I didn't come for you, I came to the house of Israel. My point is, this nation that is permeated with sickness, with illness, with demonic oppression, is is Israel at its spiritual darkest. It's at the darkest day. The ones that Jesus criticizes, the oppressors, those who are the unjust, he saves all of that for the Pharisees. It's the Pharisees, the people of the church. He is the good shepherd, and he has come, and he has found no shepherds. He has found Israel at its darkest hour. He has found Israel at its darkest spiritual moment. And to that, he responds... When he looks and he sees the brokenness, when he looks and he sees the sheep wandering without a shepherd, when he looks and he sees his own people at the worst of their lives, the worst of their entire history, and and it's almost like the Roman oppression means nothing. Jesus doesn't really address the Roman other than to say, hey, pay their taxes, and if they say you have to walk a mile, go two with them. That's kind of as much attention as he gives to the Roman Empire. His his focus is on his people and the brokenness of his people and the spiritual darkness of the people that is around him. He responds with, look at the harvest. And at the heart of it, you can see in in those verses, his motivation. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion. Compassion for these demon-oppressed. Compassion for these lepers. Compassion for these physically and spiritually blind. Compassion for people at their darkest and most broken and the culture at its most collapsed, he looks on with compassion. 
Bonhoeffer says, God's beloved people had been ill-treated and laid low, and the guilt belonged to those who had failed to minister to them in the service of God. The Romans had not done this, but the chosen ministers of the word. And the, the way in which they were oppressing the people is the opposite of compassion. The Pharisees are never called out for being overly compassionate. <laughs> you never see a verse <laughs> where Jesus says, Oh, you Pharisees, you really ought to lay at least one or two laws on them. <laughs> compassion is not the heart and the eyes of the Pharisees. It is the heart and the eyes of God. And, and so... The, the irony that we have is that the, these people, the leaders of these people, by focusing on the jot and the tittle of the law, by focusing on every detail of the word and, and the application of the word and how to follow the word in closest detail, they missed the fact that the word was standing in their midst. He was standing right there. And the crowds are astonished because he speaks as one who has authority, not as the scribes and the Pharisees. He demonstrates it, that he is the word incarnate, that he is God. And now, in rejecting him, they've rejected the very word. Jesus looks at these people as his lambs. He knows each one by name, and he seeks each lamb who has strayed. And in looking through the nation of Israel for good shepherds of Jesus' lambs, he has found none. And that's really where the heart <laughs> of, of, the, of the problem is. Jesus has not found shepherds. He has not found those who look on brokenness with compassion. He has not found those who are pastors, who are leaders of, of, of the sheep, of his own lambs. And you think of all the, the language that Jesus uses, you know, his restoration of Peter, feed my sheep. His, I am the good shepherd. Uh, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, he will come in and he will find life and good pasture. Uh, all of those, all of those good shepherd images of Jesus is what the Pharisees were supposed to have been doing. And they were doing the opposite. <laughs> and that's kind of a, a, a call <laughs> for his disciples, that our discipleship is reflective of Jesus's when it's motivated through compassion, when it comes through the eyes of compassion. Because the spiritual darkness that Jesus sees in his day is real. Demon possession, leprosy, blindness, uh, all the darkness that he is there conquering, all of the, the death, the raising people to life, the, all that he is there to overcome is all summed up in this wandering of the people as sheep without a shepherd. And looking on them and saying, I am the good shepherd. And he looks on you with compassion. And if we are going to look on one another with the eyes of Christ, it's got to be through compassion. The second 
that I do want to, again, emphasize is that when he looks at this incredible brokenness, Bonhoeffer says, the problem of surging and overwhelming unbelief, spiritual deadness on a... So- oh, I'm sorry, this is not a... This was an asterisk. <laughs> this is my point. The problem of searching and overwhelming unbelief, spiritual deadness on a social level, is not the precarious nature of the gospel. The deader our culture becomes, the more obvious the opportunity for the harvest. And notice, the prayer is not that God would remove the harvest. What does Jesus tell his disciples to do? In verse 38. He tells you and me, his disciples, to pray. Pray that God brings laborers. And so we do have a calling, all of us as disciples of Christ. We do have a calling, and that is earnest prayer that God would continue to raise up laborers in this harvest field. Because as I look around me at the brokenness and the darkness and the chaos, and sadly, as it is reflected too often within people I know, and as it is reflected too much in my own heart, The chaos and the darkness Jesus Christ looks at, both through the eyes of compassion, but also through the eyes of a warrior who says, this is my harvest. And what you and I can do is pray earnestly that the Lord will send forth people into his harvest field. And, and so that's kind of where it then goes as Bonhoeffer is going to describe what that looks like for the disciple moving out into the harvest field as, as we're going to take up the next few chapters. But, but I do want to just, I, I think it's, it's very timely. Uh, it also happens, I think, to be timely with the sermon text this morning. Uh, the, the, the darkness, the chaos that is absolutely real. The, the chaos that is real. Joel Osteen can't help me through that. Joel Osteen does not have words for me to battle against the darkness and the evil. He really doesn't. God's word says it's there. God's word acknowledges it. He says Christ has come to conquer it. And Christ looks at a culture that is oppressed by it. And he says, that's my harvest. And it calls you and me to pray earnestly that God sends forth labors into that harvest field. So, over the years, often I have heard people speak about struggles with with this or that or the other in in the society around us, and I can't answer those. I, I don't. I don't. That's not my arena. I don't speak to that. But I do know when I look around, I do see broken people. I do see a harvest. And, and I don't know what labels they come with, or I don't know what, <laughs> what, what color their skin is, or what their national origin is. I don't know any of that. I do know that I see broken people. And I know that if I look on them with the eyes of Christ, I'm looking on them with compassion. 
And I also know that he calls me to pray earnestly that God will continue to send forth laborers into that field. So with that, I actually thought I was going to run long. Uh, yeah, we've got a couple more minutes, by all means. It's almost as if social justice warriors is not a new term. Not a lot of compassion in cancel culture. <laughs> William, did you have a question? Oh, okay. All right. Well, why don't I go ahead and uh, close this with prayer, and I guess... That means all you guys get first dibs at the cake. <laughs> okay. Well, let's pray. Father, we do pray that even as we see that darkness, uh, and it is real, uh, that darkness is there. That light has overcome it. The darkness cannot stand against it. And when we look and see the brokenness all around us, help us to look with the eyes of compassion, for those are the eyes of Christ. And help us, Lord, to look not in fear, but to look in opportunity. And more earnestly pray that you would raise up laborers for that harvest field. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.